0: Comfort of our own homes, because uh, we're um, home at safe at home
1: with uh, Corona. So we're still bringing you shows remotely uh, because of everything that's going on.
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, we did get some questions and comments on the on the podcast, and realized that some of you, because of quarantine, are starting to consider or go ahead and partner with other writers, and you're zooming together and writing some things. So we thought today we would talk about what it's like to have a writing partner.
1: Because it can be a really great productive generative experience and it can also be a not so great generative productive experience. So we wanna talk about that. Um, Yeah, so before we do our topic, which is working with a
0: writing partner, uh, we are gonna do what we always do, which is start out with adventures in screenwriting, or in other words, how was your week? Um, Always an interesting topic during a pandemic.
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> <It's> hilarious! <laughs>
0: Everything is our new normal. Yes. Um, for me this week, um, I, I I just had something happen last night, which is I heard I've been waiting for a deal to go through for me to begin writing. So my my deal is finished. They had a cup. There was an actor attached, and he, he was getting his deal finished. Um, and I just heard last night that this particular studio is starting to force majeure some of its writers who are on projects already. So what does that mean? So force majeure means act of God, we're pausing all the deals. If you are owed money, we're gonna pause and Mm. pay later after the force majeure is over. Listen, don't write in and tell me that I don't know what force majeure is because maybe I don't, but that's my (laughs) understanding of it. Um, And again, this is just something I've heard on another project at this studio it just makes my ears prick up like, oh, so this project, they might not move forward with it right now, right? Again, I don't even have judgment about that. Everybody's in a new normal. Everybody's trying to figure things out. Some studios uh, and financiers are pausing. Other ones are actually ramping up. You know, so it's a new world for me as a writer. Um, I thought, you know, the reason that's relevant, I think to some of the listeners, even if you're emerging writers is because it gets into legal and how legal issues or financier's issues can impact you as a writer. Um, So I had a plan that this money was coming in and now it's not. So I have to quickly adjust to, okay, what am I gonna do? Um, I hope it's still going forward, but I'm a plan B kind of girl. Um, So suddenly I'm really looking at other things and what can I do um, uh, during this uh, shutdown? And it made me think also for emerging writers, I hear a lot of times people Write things and either don't have the rights, or they've had a producer submit things to them, and they've been writing on it, and that producer doesn't have the rights either to that i to that IP. Um, again, that's a legal issue that can deeply impact not only your writing, but your ability to write on that project and what's going to happen to that project. Um, so I just thought I'd bring it up in terms of also of reminding you, even though we're in this crazy new world, always still the legal is the legal and. Um, if you don't have the rights to something you don't have the rights um, Just know any writing or work you do on it Doesn't mean anything if you don't have the rights because you don't have the right to shop it, etc So always be careful about that um, The other thing that happened in my week as I am I'm working on another project a pilot um, with a partner so we can talk about that specifics later cool. in our uh, podcast here, but um, you know, it's really that experience of spending two, three days, he and I outlining, uh, we're at the outline stage and realizing, okay, this doesn't work, or we've got to throw this giant chunk out. And if we throw that chunk out, what changes front and back? And there was a there was a moment of my brain going, ah, it's due, it's due, we, it, this is due. How can't we, let's just, ah, let's just make it work. But you can't because the truth is there was a better idea and that better idea blew up a big chunk of it. Um, and I think in this current crisis of Corona, I think my anxiety and stuff about that and, and, and things that feel unstable are a little bit heightened because um, normally I'm just like, yeah, blow it up. Blow it. And now I'm like, wait. <laughs> so I'm I'm aware of my brain's new approach uh, to the uncertainty in writing and the that you have to blow things up even if you have a deadline. Um, so I'm, we blew it up. And, um, the other thing that was interesting was he really, I had spent so much time over one night. I stood up, stayed up till midnight, just really chunking it out. And then I realized, oh, I have to give him time to chunk it out too, because you both have to own it. So that's something we can talk about in the partnering mm-hmm. section,
1: but yeah,
0: so that was my week. What Sounds about good. you, Lorian? was exciting. Good <laughs> highs,
1: lows, lots highs of lows. Low. Right. Um, I, uh, I had a really great Tuesday writing-wise. I have been struggling to find the story engine for this TV show I'm uh, working on. It's written by somebody else and then I'm the showrunner. So I'm taking existing material and trying to find um, how to set it up so that I we can pitch it as a TV show. But I still have to find the engine, like what does each episode look like? And I, I finally had this breakthrough with the writer, the creator of the project, and it felt so good and powerful, like we found it was so, you know, so great. And so then, uh, I wanted to sleep on it, of course, to make sure that I was still excited about it the next day. Always, always 24 hours, always. Yeah. And then the next day I still was. Um, and then, uh, that was Wednesday. I got, I don't even remember Wednesday. Honestly, every day just feels like day (laughs) and, and I sort of like a feeling of it. And I think Wednesday was an okay day, but yesterday I, I woke up just off, just feeling off. And, uh, you know, I had to set up crisis schooling for my daughter and which I will talk about endlessly because it is a big part of my life, um, and sort of get things going for the day. And I just had this feeling like, um, dread and confusion and I just totally overwhelmed. Like I was just holding on to everything like that pressure, the pressure to perform, to generate income, to generate work. I was holding on so tight and a very wise friend said, take the day off which of course makes me panic and want to throw up. Like, how dare I take a day off? But I decided I'm going to take the day off. I just shut it all down. Like I I can't. And um, about an hour later, I took a shower, which is a really healthy thing for me to be doing as well. Um, All of us can, you know, just remember to take a shower every once in a while. It does change Um,
0: your electromagnetic field. So take a shower.
1: Yes, it does. Does And I, 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 usually find good ideas when I'm in the shower I just forget every single time so I was taking a shower and I I finally came up with an idea for a different project that I'm working on I was like oh so I sort of it was like in the letting off the pressure and that desperate like I felt like I was holding on to the edge of the cliff and the villain is stepping on my hands and I'm trying to think there's no way up so I just let go and fell and um and so What's that? It's very zen of you. It's very zen. It was terrifying the whole time. I am the least zen person, you know, <laughs> right? Like someone tries to cheer me up, and I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Um, uh, let me catastrophize everything, and then we'll go from there.
0: You did it, and you let go, and your brain in that relaxed state brought you new, creative, imaginative. The well opened.
1: Yes, and then later in the day, I had a. I have set up a weekly meeting with a writer friend of mine where we. Uh, he puts it on the schedule. We're very, I think we have to pay each other money if we don't make the phone call. Um, and we each have to submit work to each other. So I just submitted a bunch of like random ideas. Right. And then we talked about him, and he started off the conversation in an interesting way, it gave me some really constructive feedback that I didn't know I needed. And um, I was really surprised by it. Uh, which is hold that, on,
0: my computer's going out of
1: battery. Keep talking. You're not gonna <laughs> see me visually for seeing them. Okay, Keep going. Um, is that um how was I talking about? Oh, uh he uh when I work with other writers or with anyone else, I'm always very supportive of their ideas and we go down the cul-de-sac like Meg has talked about in a different episode and playing. But when it's my idea, my compute my um my computer brain, my producer brain clicks in and I say no. Right, that won't work because of this that won't work because of this and he told me that I Needed how to learn how to yes and more when we were talking about my own work, which you know I studied improv. I mean, I used to do murder mystery dinner theater that was improvisational like I am the yes and queen but uh, I just don't do it when I'm talking to anyone about my own work I shut down all the ideas so I had to work really hard to like go down a bunch of to play to have fun and was really needed and necessary feedback I needed on that exact day, which is have fun. Like it the the work is important and the craft and all the no's and the making it make sense. But like if you can't have fun, if you can't go down those cul-de-sacs and play, like it, it's it's just overwhelmingly hard. And so well, because that's,
0: that's the part of your brain that creates is the play brain, the you know, that part of your brain is the, is where the well is. And, you know, there's two things you said there, even while I was getting my cord to charge my computer Um her <laughs> brain, Corona brain. Um, uh, you know, I also think that in this moment when we're under under so much pressure and we had a question, right. From yes. somebody uh, Anita, about it.
1: Yeah. Anita Brandt Burgoyne sent in a question. Well, she sent in an email that had quite had several ideas. One was about, Um, Sort of how do I establish discipline? Like how do I write when I'm not inspired necessarily? How do I maximize this time I have now and um, When I do write I don't love what I write So all of it felt like a lot of I related to this because it was like yes, exactly. That's what I'm feeling pressure
0: right, so it's kind of like make sure you're playing and uh, Make sure that I think having somebody to check in with is really good. I think Finding that one person that you're going to have the weekly call with, or even better yet, a group. You know, I think a commitment to a group, if you have, you know, you're feeling distracted or you have so many projects and what do I pick? Um, I would say pick one uh, because maybe you have so many because every time one doesn't work, you're, allow- you're allowing yourself to jump to the other one. Go ahead, pick one and find people or a person who's your kind of commit. you're making that commitment to. Um, you know when I on this podcast committed to all of you that I would have an outline for my passion project It worked, you know, it really worked I really did get I think getting up at the same time and saying okay the first hour of the day is committed to that project Mm -hmm. Right. I'm doing that. That's what i'm doing Um, and this person is going to check in with me. I think that can you know, um humans of new york the facebook page where the guy takes pictures and hears stories of people in new york. He had a wonderful Um, post about how when he was in his 20s and feeling lost, what saved him wasn't giant inspiration. What saved him wasn't a lightning bolt. It was him deciding that every day he'd take one picture. And it was routine that saved him. It was that commitment to one picture that saved him. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with Corona, you're feeling overwhelmed just being a writer, which it can feel that way because you've got too many projects or, or that what I'm writing isn't very good, which is judgment. Um, uh, that's what came out today. So respect it and know that's what came out and then go back tomorrow and keep going. Because if you just judge it and then move off, you, you just started, man. You just scratched that, right? You have to go back, ask questions about what you scribbled down um, as, as if you were a person walking in, right? So all of those things, what we're talking about is increments, right? Small increments um, do add up and they keep your brain kind of focused so that the imagination creativity can come. And I also love what you're saying, Lorian, which is the other option is if it's just getting too overwhelming. Don't do it and take a day off and let your brain know this can still be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you don't have to be Shakespeare. You can just be you and, and have a day off and see what comes. Yeah.
1: Um, and then I so, ended up getting a lot of work done.
0: <laughs> and, then I,
1: awesome, right? and then after I got off the phone call with my friend, David F.M. Bond, is my friend. He'll want to shout out. Hi, David. Um, I sat down and wrote uh, 18 new ideas. Wow, for for TV shows, you know, some of them are just, I think it takes place at a gas station. Yeah, Some of them are like that, but you know, like some of them, But it's, it's, it's you turned it up and you turned it up and there's
0: probably something even beyond those that all of those are pieces of or yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It was still Um, a pretty hard day. (laughs) All right. That's our week people. Um, So Lorian, uh, you have a call to action. you want to
1: call to action for the show is we love doing this. We're super excited to do it. Um, so if you could, would you go and listen to it on Apple app? I'm learning how to speak Apple podcasts. Uh, sorry, my dog is excited about it too. She's barking, um, uh, leave five-star reviews and, um, you can, check out some of the other reviews people have left, but only the good ones. I think there only are good ones, right, Ryan? Of course. That's right. And I mean, every we're here every Friday at noon, 12 p.m. PST. Uh, check out The Screenwriting Life. We love our shows on Popcorn Talk Network. So if you subscribe to the YouTube, you can get all the latest updates on news, reviews, and interviews um, from all the world of film. So thank you so much for listening to The Popcorn Talk and The Screenwriter's Life.
0: Yeah, guys, for us to keep doing this, we have to get followers and reviews. That's how this works. Um, so if you're enjoying it, please tell your friends and review. Um, okay, so now we're gonna go to our topic, which is writing with a partner. Yes, yes Lorian. Lorian and I have partnered together as writers so we can speak uh, for, you know, about that in terms of together. And we're also, we've written with other people. I'm currently writing with a partner. Uh, Jonathan Fernandez, an amazing writer. Um, On our pilot.
1: And I think there are uh, different kinds of partnerships. So Meg and I write our own stuff, and then some, you know, we've written two projects together, but we're not writing partners. Like if we were um, trying to get on a TV show, we wouldn't be staffed as one unit. Right. Right. That's a different kind of partnership where two people are always writing all the projects together. Um, And, you know, I love writing with Meg. I love writing with a partner. I verbally process, if people can't already tell that. So I, I either uh, process verbally or I process writing. And I also am in a place where I really like validation. Like, it's hard for me. Uh, Like you were talking about when we were talking about our week, the sort of you write it down, you read it, you think it's crap, you put it away. Because I don't, I don't always know how to read something and to be like, oh, there it is. There's the nugget that's in that and then how to pull that out. So for me, working with a writer or producer or a manager or someone else reading me and helping me dig into what is working is really, really helpful for me. Um, and um, it's fun. I'm an extrovert. I like hanging out with other people. And I love hanging out with you, Meg. I mean, I have the best time when we're writing together. And... Um, most of the time, I think we uh, agree on things, how to, how to work things through, right? Like we, our process is we email each other back and forth a lot. Uh, it's not always the same email thread, right? Sometimes it's multiple threads, or one of us gets an idea, or I wake up at three in the morning worrying about a time of day issue, which I've done. Um, and I say, go make a chart. And then I do, and it's super <laughs> satisfying. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, There's a lot to talk about, um, but I think uh, setting up the way to work together at the beginning is really one of the most- I know that
0: it'll it'll evolve as you both find how your processes come together. Like you have an individual process as a writer of how your brain works and how your writing process works. The other person might have a very different one. So they have to blend. Um, I also found um, the other day, Jonathan and I were working and um, we were literally taking a document and going back and forth. Um, it was final draft, uh, so we were emailing it back and forth, always changing the title. This, I know that sounds pedantic, but very important to always in the title, put the date and whose initial, whose document is this, because later you may have to go back and then you can't figure it out. Learned that at Pixar. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, which was also incredibly collaborative and working with lots of partners. So what we realized was um, he he did some changes And at first I freaked out and then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening here? Because everything I wrote in the email to him of why'd you change this and what about this and how about that? I realized, oh wait, there's something underneath all of these things, all of these questions I have to him, which is, I think we're actually writing different shows. In that, tonally, he was writing a broader show. It's sci-fi, so a broader fantasy. He's writing a broader fantasy show And I'm writing more of a realistic, like what that's what I love about It's almost undercutting the expectation for what you'd see in a broad show. By the way, both of them are completely legitimate and both of them are great shows. It's just, they're actually different shows. So we had to spend almost a day talking about what are those two shows and which show are we doing? Um, Mm -hmm. We have to, because we're being paid, have to take into account who the buyer is and what show they want, et cetera the producers, all the other people involved. Um, but in terms of our, just our specific partnership, it was like, okay, we wanna actually blend these. It is a fantasy show. We need some broad, fun fantasy moments, but we also really want it to feel real. The stakes are real. Just to give you an example, are the stakes kind of broad fantasy, like nobody's really getting hurt, right? Or is it, no, it's real. Like in Game of Thrones, you can get your head chopped off, right? Like that's a real thing. Like people really can die. You can have deeper, emotional stakes as well, right? So what's happening is, which I think is great, we're blending our styles, right? We're blending, um, and I think it's gonna be a work in progress as we go. Um, I think, um, you know, then we're also blending how we write. I think that he writes by just tossing a bunch of stuff out and I write by tossing it out and then asking a thousand
1: questions,
0: poor guy. Like Morgan's laughing because she knows, like literally the other day he was like, oh my God, Meg. And I was like, I know he's like, I love it. I love it.
1: I'm like, I don't know if he loves it, but I think he does. But But I just, it's uh, always great to get those questions because I'll write something like, I feel like this character would say this, or this comes from my gut. And I maybe haven't thought about it like all the way through in the way, when you're reading what I've written, you have the space then from it. Yeah. To think about it all the way through and so then you throw those questions back at me So it's like oh, so in a way it's really helpful so that I don't get lost in the scene
0: Right, right. that's so, exactly right that your partner is kind of saying well, that's a great scene But I don't understand how does that attach to this thing? We have in the third act that we've already outlined and you both been talking and realize it doesn't right So now what are we gonna do? Are we gonna keep this great thing? You wrote and change the third act which means we have to re outline the whole thing or no, this isn't worth that. The, the, the outline we have is worth more than that scene. So how do we change it? And it becomes six of one and a half dozen the other. Like we're doing both. Um, and you know, remember, Laurie, and at Pixar, it was very much the same, right? It was, a, except you were doing it in real time in a room all together, right. tossing and pitching ideas and putting stuff by, up by cards. But everybody had the opportunity to poke at it, yes. right? So that's kind of partnering at a, you know, calculus, you know, 3D chess level, what we're talking about today is also partnering just you by Zoom, literally now, right, and documents going back and forth, and, you know, the one thing I would say to be careful of, I haven't experienced this personally, but I've talked to young writers who have experienced this, be sure that you're not getting a partner to use them, Hmm. because meaning, It's good to have different kinds of skill, right? Jonathan is really, really good at fantasy and world building, right? It's not what my brain does, right? So we're a good team together, Mm -hmm. but always, always there is the respect of what each other does, right? And we both have to do both. I still have to fantasy and world build and he still has to do character and we want to because we're writers. But I've, I've met young writers who have been on both ends of a partnership where they feel like they're just being used. Mm. And sometimes that happens because the other person just keeps taking what you give them and then they rewrite it in their own voice every time. And it's the only way they feel comfortable. And I'm like, I don't know if that's really a partnership then, right? And again, that person might not have any ill intent. It's just the only way they know how to write is in their own voice with their own thing. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of using you as energetic or kind of idea, an idea farm, right? right. Um, that's a little trickier. I would be careful about that. I'm not saying don't do it but just be aware of it and see what you're getting out of it and Um, that that's kind of some of the things that can go wrong because that's like seeds for resentment there Right, and that you don't really feel like you are owning it You don't really feel like you're part of it like the other day Like I said, I had been up till midnight chunking out the outline based on the new ideas and then I sent it to jonathan And when we talked the next morning, I realized, oh, no, wait, this isn't fair to him. He actually needs time to re-chunk it out so that it's in his brain too. And he deeply owns it as much as I do because I was up till midnight, right? So I had to be like, stop my roll because I'm always like, let's go, let's go. What else can we do? And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is so not fair to him. Right. Go away, take the day. And what's your version of what I chunked out? Hey, everyone. So the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer
2: is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes. But mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move the scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful, and what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project,
0: and I want to card it, and I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag-and-drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters, I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool.
2: So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of SCREENFD for 25% off. You should check it out.
0: That's SCREENFD, S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D.
1: Right, and that can be challenging too. Like you were up till midnight working on this and then you send it off and then you wanna like get back into it. But it's about also respecting what that person's schedule is. But also there are other commitments too, right? And communicating, super communicating. Like, yes. I can't do this for three days. I have to do this other assignment. And so then you need to take it and do whatever it is. Yeah, for
0: need. sure. That happened too, where I assumed because I have to homeschool in the morning and he knows that and I can only write in the afternoons or evenings if it keeps going. That um, I just assumed that he because we did it one time that he knew whatever he wrote had to be to me by one o'clock so I could write. And then the next right. day it didn't come. And I was like, what's happening? And he was like, Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. And I'm like, Oh, right. I didn't say that was a thing, but I just assumed it was a thing. So it's a lot of communication, always staying on the same page, communicating. Um, it's, it, it that, it's super important so that because you really want to watch out for any resentment that could be planted. I think it's super important for partnerships. I know Lauren, you and I did this a lot of like checking in with each other, how are you feeling? Um, both about the partnership, about the project, about life. Like you have to keep it real, no passive aggressiveness. Right. That is a death now to partnership. Don't do it. Even if you have to say something hard to the other person, like, hey, every time you do that, it drives me fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you should sit down and say that because you're partners. And in any partnership, there has to be that direct communication and respect of each other. So I think that is also super
1: important. Yes, absolutely, and it's it can be a really like uh, for me, Meg. The very first TV show I sold was a project that we sold together. So I was in this unique position of, Yay, I'm a TV writer now, and it was my very first project. So I got to uh, be challenged and disappoint you and rise to the occasion. It was like this crazy crash course boot camp of. How to partner? How to write a pilot? How to, you know, make money as a TV writer? Right, like all of the stuff. So for me, it was this amazing, terrifying experience, right? Where I did all the things wrong. I learned how to do some of the things better. Um, so it can be really exciting. Yeah, and
0: it's you know, I think it, uh, with writing partners, you are going to disappoint each other. Mm-hmm. It could be the disappointment of. I said I was gonna get this done by this time and I, and I didn't. Or it could be the disappointment of, I know I said I could make this work, but I can't. Or I know I thought this was a good idea, but now I think it sucks. Or you know what, this is kind of shitty what I just wrote. It just isn't very good, but maybe it'll give you ideas, right? Like um, I feel like, I, you know, I also, I'm pushing Jonathan and he's pushing me. And I think that's the best kind of partnership is to say, mm-hmm. but why and how common, but what's her motivation right there? Or what's he doing? Like, I get it from her point of view, but what what is he doing and why is he here and why does he care and why would he do that? Like, you know, to me, I also am a story junkie. I love that stuff, right? But I think I can be overwhelming (laughs) because I'm just like, but why and how come? And a thousand questions, right? And my brain is going very fast and trying to like put it down. The other thing I would say about um, that has happened um, in almost every um, partnering situation I've had, be that with another writer or be that with a producer. Um, or be that with my husband or any other partnering. honestly, um, because it, and which means this is me, not them, because it's happened with everybody, which is my brain will lay down. This is it, right? Let's say you're in the outline stage. There it is. That's the story. Those are the big movements of the story. And my brain kind of relaxes a little bit. And I think it thinks it's going to go into play now because I've got the sandbox, right? And then of course the writing partner, producer, director husband, whatever, will be like, yeah, but (laughs) explosion of everything I put down. And I always have this very internal defensive reaction. Just, I don't, I try not to verbalize it because I know it's me because it's a control issue. And I don't mean like I need to be in control. I panic that we're never going to find it again. Like, and you know, that, it happens so many times at Pixar because that is what they do constantly is constantly iterate, right? You'd be in a room and talking for eight hours and you'd finally get a shape and then somebody would be like, why are we in the mind? And I'd be like, no,
1: don't you dare blow it, don't you dare,
0: right? But Pete Doctor is a genius and he'd be like, yeah, let's, let's just stop a minute, why are we in the mind? Let's go all the way back to why we're doing this. <laughs> the writer in me is like, we have structure, we have outline, we could write this but that isn't writing, right? That is a different part of the brain. And I have to allow, I have to literally take a breath and step back emotionally and let that person start riffing and blowing it all up. Right. And then no, and it's a trust thing probably, right. Trusting yeah. that you will find it again yeah. and it'll be better. And here's the truth. You can always go back to what you had, you know, It's not 1940s with typewriters and somebody threw it in the fire. Like you can go back, but right now let's take a trip, right? And literally Jonathan was like, I know, but I just think this is a such a cool, fun end. And my head is like, but it blows up everything from the midpoint. But I have to be like, okay, wait, he's right. That's a much cooler ending. And so we have to change 25 things. And then we do and we change them and we change 25 things. And will we stay there? I don't know. It's gonna iterate and iterate and iterate. But somehow when I'm iterating on my own, I'm not as tight about it. It's when the other person is iterating on something that I feel like we've done that I get all kind of emotional and freaked out. So that's my work. I guess what I'm trying to say overall is partnership will bring up in you where you have to evolve as a human. It just will. Again, any kind of partnership, work, personal, whatever. If you're working together, you know, my husband and I are working on a budget right now. <laughs> Sometimes, right? It evolves you. So that's awesome. Like, how great is that? That you're going to do something that evolves you. You're going to go on the hero's journey yourself, right? right? So I just keep trying to remember that, that this is, this is a learning experience. Every time you have a partnership, it's a new learning experience.
1: It's also, for me, when you get notes, when you have a partner, it's so much uh, healthier for me so to much better. notes with someone else because it's then I'm so not much sitting better. in a giant bowl of shame all by myself, <laughs> right? It's like, that was weird, right? Or these are great. Or, you know, you get to... You process. can
0: get together about no. it. You can be like, "That was crazy!" Until later, you're both like, "Yeah, no, that was actually yeah. probably a good note." That's like the you solution. can, you have yeah. somebody on the roller coaster with you, yes. out in the foxhole. You really do not feel crazy. It, yeah. I love the walk to the parking lot after the meeting.
1: When you're both
0: like, and by the time you get home, you're both like, "Yeah, no, okay, those were good notes, and yes. we need yes. to do
1: that." But there's it just, no more, no more walks in the parking lot, Mike. Now it's now it's just texting after the after the Zoom, right? Yeah, now our personal Zoom after. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, again, it's just human, right? Because you felt vulnerable. You felt vulnerable getting those notes. You had a panic attack. You realize, oh my God, we were even we even had the wrong bullseye. Forget that we didn't hit the bullseye. What they're expecting is is B, and we were doing F. Like holy crap, that 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 sense of like, oh shit, right? That you can get. Um, or the opposite where they like it. And my brain, brain is admitted, what's like, the,
1: what's the truth? What's, what's going on? What's, what's really th- going on? Oh no, we're the same in that way. So they said they loved this part. Is that real?
0: Is that real? But it's funny because jo- I think that's also a Jonathan and I are a good team because he's an optimist. So he's always like, "That was great," and I'm like, "Really? Was it? Was it great, Jonathan?" He's so good, though. He does not take my bait. Like he does not. He's always like, "No, yeah, it was good. Let's just let it be good."
1: But you it's know, awesome. we, I think you and I, Meg, are pretty similar in our responses to things. But whoever gets there first, the other person will slip when in our yeah. writing together. So, like if if I get emotional first, you go into producer mode, right? Right? Or if you go emo, like so we know how to do that for each other so that we're both not sitting in the shame in
0: the the muck of it yeah i was talking to my manager yesterday and he called himself a cynical optimist and i was like oh my god that's exactly what i am i'm a cynical optimist i'm generally optimistic but i'm a little bit cynical
1: oh that's not how i would describe myself at all (laughs) i'm like am i a pessimistic nihilist or a cynical nihilist what's going on here that's not
0: true you can't be a writer and not have optimism you can't because creativity is optimistic The very act of creation is optimistic that something is going to come and manifest and that you will love it. Even if you don't love it in that moment, it it is a beautiful, optimistic thing to do, to sit down and create something out of nothing, out of nothing. I mean, that is a beautiful, optimistic thing to do. And I understand that we all go back and are cynical about it, but we also have to be careful of the judgment that we put on it and our work because judgment does not create, it tears down. Yeah, Be super careful. Listen to the words you use. Um, like um, the question we got where she said it was just scribbles already. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. No such thing. No such thing. That is the critic. That is she. that critic is trying to rip down. Um, You know, I had another y- young writer who said, you know, it, she would constantly use, she constantly uses words that are derogatory about her own writing. And I've banned her. I've banned it because it just isn't it it doesn't get you anywhere. You think it does. You think it's protecting you from other people saying it, right? It doesn't really, because it doesn't create anything. You have to let that stuff go. Um, all right. So we have uh, a we
1: question. We can talk,
0: but we should do our question, right?
1: So I think for me, just the headline of partnership right. is about trust. Yes. Right. And and um, knowing that you can be free to create, be free to fail but be open to feedback and to be giving feedback too, right? It's that trust. is All most- of that involves trust. Yeah. And if
0: you don't trust your partner, you have to look at that. Yeah. Don't run away from it. Don't get passive aggressive. That's just a fact. Why don't you start asking questions? Why don't you trust? Has that something to do with you? It might, by the way, you might have an issue with trust. Or does it have to do with them and specific things where they've broken trust? And then you have to have a, a harder but more real and productive conversation about it. Um, so, yeah, it is very astute. It's all about trust. That old issue, here it comes again. Um, okay, question of the week. Um, so just to remind you guys, please send in your questions to the at gmail.com. Um, We're going to answer yeah. as many uh, in the podcast as we can. Um, who knows? Lauren and I might dip in there and actually personally answer you directly back onto your Gmail. Can't promise, but... Uh, I think we'd like to do that. So um, today the question is from Megan Simpson Hubberman from Sydney, Australia. Um, She says she's currently working on a rewrite and she notices that the last seconds of the script, the very end of the script, is making people cry. And she thinks it's because in this moment a lot of the subtext of the character's arc is there. Um, And she thinks it's working well but she just has this gut that it's not, it's, she says, it's not yet giving the reader the satisfying click of insight and understanding to that character that maybe a note or two earlier in the pilot would make it more clear. And so, you know, but of course she says, but I'm so afraid of breaking it and making it on the nose by bringing it up from the subtext to text. So my question is, in this stage of the rewriting process, when you're understanding the thematic workings of the story more, how do you avoid it becoming mechanical or too obvious? And I love this question because I think we all have this question and we all worry about that. And I guess my broad answer is, get out. Meaning it is the writer's job to experiment. It is the writer's job to go ahead for yourself. I'm not saying you have to give it to your producers or anybody else, go ahead and make it obvious. Because my gut is, that you probably have been so worried about that, that you've missed something very large, or at least substantially that you're having this intuition. And why don't you take a day or two, if you have the time, and I think she does, um, to go ahead and take those scenes and take some scenes before that and um, make it obvious, literally let the character say it out loud because You may not eventually keep that in the script for other people, but you have to articulate it for yourself. That character is needing to talk to you and you keep muscling her, or I think it's a her, you keep muzzling her because you're so afraid of it being obvious, mechanical, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Just let the person talk. That would be like criticizing a friend who comes to you and starts being really obvious and honest about something and just saying, I think my mother hates me. And you're like, whoa, that's a little bit obvious, right? Like you wouldn't, you would have some compassion for that person and let them talk. So do a writing exercise and go ahead and be obvious. Um, I would also say in the question, buried in the question is that this is happening in the final moments of the script, which is a little bit of a light bulb for me or just a light because that's the final resolution, but that's not the end of act two. So... It is, not that you can't have people crying at the end of your script, of course, awesome, great. And she is probably right. It is feeling like some resolution to the arc, right? Um, But really where the unconscious thematic, which is the character arc becomes context from subtext is the end of act two, right? That is the true moment of consciousness where you're gonna, if you look at movies, you're going to see Characters, usually because somebody's standing next to them talking to them, not always, but that's the easiest way to do it. Um, having to come to consciousness about themselves and the journey they've taken and what they've, how they've transformed is happening at the end of act two. The third act is proving it in action, which can be emotional, of course. You know When Joy realizes, oh my God, I have been completely wrong in keeping sadness away from Riley. Sadness is the answer That is emotional But it's also emotional when she hands over those core memories and they start turning blue I don't know if you remember Lorian, but in the edit room we cried every time like it was crazy So we're crying there, but it's because we also have had joy Articulate for us in the end of act two what the realization is and the release and the tears come because she's doing it. She didn't just have the realization and then go, "Oh well, fuck it, I can't do it, I'm too scared. She has the realization and and then is a true hero and makes it happen and does the hardest thing she can do in the third act, climax, which is the thing that in act one, she couldn't have done in a million years, hand over those core memories, right? So yes, you cry there, But really you're crying because of that end of act two realization, which goes all the way back, right? So Megan is right in her her intuition that it isn't that end moment probably doesn't have to change. But if people aren't uh, aware of the insight it's because your end of act two isn't clear. And if your end of act two isn't clear it's because you're being afraid and tomping it down and not letting the character talk and not letting us really feel it at the end of act two, feel the desperation, feel how bad it is and feel the illumination. And it might be because all the way back to act one, you haven't set it up well. So often you get a note in one place, but actually the solution is coming before that place that somebody's pointing out. So I, I do think that's a really good insight and something to keep in mind. So the catharsis, that you want the audience to have and the character to have is the end of act two. That's where it can come up. Now, I also know that in Save the Cat and other books, they say the theme is spoken in act one. That's fine if you wanna do that. I mean, if if, you know, if, um, if um, great great uh, directors and, and writers have done it, right? Um, right. So uh, that's an, an intellectualization of the theme in act one, right? right? Um, but the emotional moment of really living it and feeling it is the act is the end of act two.
1: So, uh, we are planning to talk about structure next week, maybe more than one week. So fairly- yeah,
0: because we, Lauren and I realized that everything we're doing and every question, they're coming back to some of the basics. So we just want to make sure that we lay down the foundation of how she and I see things. Like I, what I just talked about was really structure, right? Right. Um, So we're going to talk about structure next week.
1: We'll talk about structure next week. That's exciting. What a perfect segue.
0: Perfect segue. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So thanks for tuning into the Screenwriting Life on the Popcorn Talk Network. Um, Our plan is to continue uh, safe at home measures. I hope you guys all stay safe and healthy. Please tune in every week on Popcorn Talk or check
1: out um, our podcast on Apple. So uh, carry on and keep writing. Okay. Bye, guys.